Man, Pumpkins fans, true heads, true yeds, would hate you. True, true, because true heads are fucking little cucks, dude. They're like, oh, Corgan is only good when he's fucking doing A or B, and they, dude, they're fine. They own nothing. Welcome back to Asinine Radio, a weekly podcast where we talk about music, and well, that's pretty much it. So uh, let's go. I almost missed my hay. Almost well, you missed miss my hay. Then I missed my hay because I only can hay on my end when you hay on your end because I can't <laughs> hear the music to cue me in. So I'm being cued by the music, which is being cued by no, no, I'm being cued by you, which is being cued by the music. So many cues, <sighs> so many cues happening. Cue ball. Jesus Christ. Well, this is Asinine Radio. This is the main part of the show. This is where we take a particular album, we break it down, we try to have a good time with it. We uh. We just, we just, we just talk about it. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I've been potting for years now, and I can't even do this right. Uh, oh, excuse me. It's um, boring every time. Go to iTunes. Go rate, review, and subscribe. Subscribe to us on there. Follow us on social media at Asinine Radio. My name is Tyler, and way out there, hundreds of miles away, way out there in the ether, is Jeff. Uh, I'm sure you guys all, everybody knows what album we're doing today, but that's okay. Um, if you didn't already go listen to our album rankings of the smashing pumpkins because that'd be cool too hey i am so lost what are you talking about dude i don't i don't even know what i'm talking about at this point so what what are we doing today what smashing pumpkins record are we doing today Jeff? we are doing a door and uh it's their best album and it was one of the later <laughs> albums of the 90s and uh i'm pretty excited about it so <laughs> now we're doing siamese dream which is cool too Smashing Pumpkins formed in 1988 in Chicago, Illinois by Billy Corgan on vocals and guitar, Jimmy Chamberlain on drums, Darcy Retsky on bass, and James E. Hong on guitar. 
They currently have 11 albums, 6 EPs, 7 compilations, 4 live records, and have sold well over 30 million records worldwide. But the album we're doing today is Siamese Dream. It's the band's second record, and it was released July 23rd, 1993. It features the original lineup of the band, Billy, Jimmy, Darcy, and James. And it has sold well over 6 million copies worldwide. Now, Jeff, my question to you is, what is your origin story with the band? And what are your initial thoughts and impressions on this record? Siamese Dream. Go. My origin story is much like every other, I don't know, person's origin story. I've, I heard Smashing Pumpkins in the 90s. But uh, mm-hmm. unlike all of all of everybody else that was gushing over them, I did not like them in the 90s, and I did not like them in the 2000s. And it wasn't until 2000 and probably, what, 20? That yes, 2020. I decided was... to, uh, to listen to them and, and give them a, f- a fair shake. And that's not mm-hmm. to say, like, I've... Av- no, because I have avoided them. That's not to say, like, I've heard their music and and... <laughs> and said I don't like it because I don't, I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. First impressions, baby. <laughs> First impressions, baby. I just, I, I've never got around to their music because the songs that I've heard, their biggest songs, I don't particularly care for. And so with the almost infinite amount of music out there, why go back to a band the, to where like the, the music that I know is not good already? Like why go and listen to them? You know, like, I, mean, I can listen to other things Agreed. That interests me. So it wasn't until like you brought it to the table until you brought, I think Gish eventually because you because yeah, you Gish. you went down that rabbit hole way deeper a few years ago and it was, but it didn't like get crazy until like last year. It didn't become like an <laughs> obsession until like last year. Like you were in the rabbit hole and you're like yeah, it's kind of cool in here, it's fun. Yeah. And then it was like last year when you're like oh yeah, this is the shit. And then it wasn't until like early this year. <laughs> When I was like, okay, y- you got me. You got me. Now Now I'm intrigued. So it took both of us a combination of together 60 years to get in the Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> oh my God. So take that for what it's worth. That's okay. My, I don't know. That's my origin story. <laughs> that's your origin story with, with the band. Um, I'll go with my origin story and then we'll get into our first impressions of Siamese Dream. Uh, my origin story is much like Jeff's. I heard about them originally in the nineties. I think it was probably 1979. And, uh, I, I, I've always kind of liked that song, but outside of that, I did not give a shit. And then I heard Tarantula, like maybe around 2008 or 2009. And I just fucking love that song. But then that's as far as I went. I like, I, I only knew them from their hits and I just didn't really care for the hits. So I didn't, I didn't go down that rabbit hole as Jeff would say. And uh, and dive into their music until I heard Solara from Shiny and Oh So Bright off that record, and then that intrigued me enough finally to listen to their other music, and then it was it just it built from there, and I just I didn't say I, I wouldn't say I became obsessed, but I just discovered so much great stuff that that came out of that came from this band, and how talented Billy Corgan is, and how underrated I feel he is as well as a songwriter and a guitar player. He's an underrated guy for sure, musician for sure. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my origin story and, um, Siamese dream. What do you got about, what's your, what's your first impression on this one? Yeah. So normally, I mean, as we always say, we listen to this album first and then the discography and then this album, the album of the week again, this one was a little bit Mm -hmm. different because a lot of their stuff isn't on Spotify and I just fucking hate listening to albums on YouTube 
mostly because I don't know if it's just like if I'm not good at using YouTube, but sometimes when I minimize <laughs> the tab, I can't surf the web because it'll close out YouTube entirely. But then other times when I minimize the tab on YouTube on my phone, it'll do like the little thumbnail of the video yeah. and I can still surf the web. I don't know why it does that, but it's super irritating. And so when I'm listening to YouTube, I'm like stuck watching the fucking video. And then inevitably I just, I just surf the comments and like, that's fun for a little bit, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. So, so Siamese dream, this, this was, um, this was the first thing that I listened to this week and it was, it was good. Like I had a good time with it and I thought, you know, if every Smashing Pumpkins is like this, then this is going to be a solid week. But what I really thought, up. what I really thought was, is every, if, if, if every Smashing Pumpkins is like this, it's going to be a boring week. And if there's one thing the Smashing Pumpkins are, is, was, they're, they're unique. They are, they're a wild card. They're, you know, they're, they're an ace. They, they, Eclectic. they're fucking weird. They, they don't make any sense, but then they make all the sense. And and some of my favorite albums like Gish and Adore are so fucking different from each other, but really so close to each other. I just don't I I don't understand like why they relied so heavily. Because they did. And maybe that was just like the scene in general. They did. They relied on marketing so much on a lot of their biggest bangers. And a lot of their music videos were like their biggest bangers. And they 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 push those so hard and that's like for so long I fucking did not like them because I don't like melancholy. I don't like nineteen seventy nine. And I don't know, maybe because Corgan is so like anti record label and so anti conformist and, and he wants to just be left alone and do his own thing, but really he doesn't want to just be left alone because he likes the rock star life. But then he doesn't like the rock star life, but then he does like the rock star <laughs> life. He's just a fucking cuck, dude, and he's Oh, this whole band is a polarizing is just a character. fucking mess, dude. This entire band is a mess, and their history is a mess, and their music is a mess. But, but it was fun. I but like in a good way. <laughs> it's it, it, no, not always. Uh, some some ways it was bad. Like their mess, their 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 bickering within the band. The fact that that JC almost died multiple times, and and Billy almost died by his own hand and like this band mm-hmm. is a fucking mess but it's i don't know man like that's that's the pumpkins right yeah i mean it, it's part of the what led to this kind of music and like the greatness of the music you know the the struggle the struggle led to this for better or worse it's weird because because the smashing pumpkins sound like a lot of bands but no bands sound like the Smashing Pumpkins. And yeah, that's that, that's like like a lot of their music sound like okay, I can hear you know, I can hear like the grunge in this. I can hear the alt 90s in this. I can hear the electronica of the late 90s, early 2000s in this. But I've never heard a band where I thought, "Oh, this sounds like the Smashing Pumpkins." Although see, I don't I will disagree to Smashing Pumpkins, but I will disagree. There is one band that I feel is the modern version of the Smashing Pumpkins, and that is Silver Sun Pickups. They they kind of like picked up where they left off in the '90s, and just kind of kept on doing that. And the Silver Sun Pickups are really cool. I don't know how much you've listened to them, but damn, do they have some great songs? But it's very it's kind of like it's kind of like Smashing Pumpkins. It's the closest thing I can I can compare a band to. 
Very anyway. interesting because I've heard like two or three songs from the Silver Sun pickups and none, none, nothing sounded like Smashing Pumpkins because they came out like right so? after like right after high school, right? Like they were like big, yeah, right after high school. And I think it was like oh four, maybe oh three when they their first record came out. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Nothing. But, nothing about that band screamed, you know, interesting to me. Well, but again, I don't. I think what the fuck do good. I know? What do you know? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, Siamese Dream. This one, um, I don't even know where. What? What? What am I talking about? What am I? What are your initial thoughts? What are your? My, what do you think? My initial thoughts are, uh, I didn't. I didn't really realize this was like my favorite record of theirs until very recently. I've always really loved Gish. And just kind of listening to their records and their entire discography all at once, it kind of like threw everything awry. And, you know, this being my, this is not like my favorite Pumpkins record. Like I, for whatever reason, something really connected with me about this one recently. And then, you know, Shiny is also really good. It's just, it's so weird. Like this band just, dude, Billy Corgan writes like really good songs. And this is the perfection. This is just like him at his best but that's not discrediting everything he's done since or before this. You know what I mean? Like it's just different. Like you can't really say some records are better than others. They're just different. So it's like not me discrediting what he did on Zeitgeist, which I thought was great or what he did on shiny, which was even, was even greater or what he did on fucking melancholy or whatever, you know? So I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting. I just, I think this record's fantastic and every song is a banger. Honestly, every song is a banger. Uh, and I will also say that we're not going to talk about the deluxe version. We're only going to be doing the standard version. So no, you know, Hello Kitty Cat or Piss Ann or anything like that. We're only doing the standard. That's all we're focusing on. Yeah. So standard 13 songs, I think. Yeah, 13 14? songs. I don't know. 13. But anyway. I hope 13. Uh, what, so do you? Do we have any stinkers yeah. on this record? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, God. What do you got? What, what's a stinker for you? Okay, so I actually have one true stinker, and then I have one stinker that actually could be a banger, but it's not. What? So, so my first Doesn't stinker. Make any sense. No, it does. It does. My first stinker is Space Boy. Space Boy, I think, is a stinker. That's like, is this like their ballad? I guess I, I don't know. This song fucking lame, dude. This song was was stupid, and the acoustic guitar and the orchestra sounds were too high. I just I didn't like it. It was cheesy and sound forced. Blah. Hmm. Blah. What about it? What about it lyrically? What do you think about it lyrically? I don't care. I could because if if I can't get behind a song musically, I can't get behind it lyrically. But fair. the opposite, I can do. If if a song's lyrics sucks, because there's a couple songs on here where the lyrics are just stupid, but the music is so <laughs> fucking good that you can you can you can I don't know you can bypass that you can you can overcompensate with bad lyrics with a good melody and good instrumentation. True. Space Boy is not very one. true. Yeah. Well, I I'm with you. That that's kind of like on the lower tier for me. It's not. It's a banger, but it's not like top banger. Not even top ten banger on this one. Okay. But it's good. It's still a good song. Space Space Boy is still good. Okay. So then what's so I have no stinkers. I have no stinkers on this one. Um, what's your What's your one that's a stinker that's almost a banger or could be a banger? What do you think it is? Um. <laughs> I'd probably say today. Nah. Honestly. Really? Close though. It is a it is a bigger song, but disarm. Cherubrock? Oh, disarm. Oh, yeah. really? Disarm? Yeah, really? disarm. I like 
why couldn't this just be acoustic? I really dislike the fucking bell and the orchestral effects. Oh, I love the bell. I like that those things are just supplementing the feeling and everything, but they don't yeah. need to be. He does fine on his own, and we, we hear it later on in albums. Maybe this was just like his his introduction and just being like himself, but in, like in a door. And in, in, in other things that we hear later, later on too, like Machina too, he can do things mm-hmm. by himself and keep things very, very simple and still keep the feeling. I just really wish like it was just him and his dumbed down guitar playing because I love, he's like Caraba. For acoustic. He's like Caraba. <laughs> he's not a great guitar player, but he knows how to play See, the I guitar know. to supplement his vocals. He's I, not I mean, a great I, guitar player. I agree player. with you to an extent. I think he's a, he's a really good guitar player. He's a I good guitar player when he's sitting in front of a fucking board and he has, uh, you know, three months to overdub his bandmates' stuff. And yeah, he, no. he can do great things. But no. No, if you I, watch I, him live, he's I did a really watch, good I watched a bunch too. of live videos this week and I saw nothing that I thought like, holy shit, this is innovative. This is great. I think he's prog in mentality, but not sound. You know, like okay. we, always, we always go back to that thing. Going yeah, we always, on. yeah, we... we yeah. No, I, 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 I just I, okay. I think I think he knows he knows how to write good songs and he knows how to play guitar well. I mean, like, mm-hmm. OK, yeah. So when they say like he's not a great guitarist, like obviously he's no like Hendrix or Clapton. I don't I don't like Clapton. Why do I say Clapton? He's no bad. I'm going to I'm gonna replace Clapton. Clapton with Jeff Beck. Done. That's the last one. Or, or say Van Clapton. Halen or say Van Halen. He, he's no Hendrix. He's no Jeff Beck. He's no Van Halen. He, but he's. He just knows how to play to himself. Like he knows how to play to his strengths. He knows how to how to take his own vocal weaknesses and supplement that with like kind of almost mundane guitar playing. But the mundane guitar playing is so unique because of his weird <laughs> vocal like delivery. Like he just, he's very in tune with his guitar playing, which he is. which makes it's him almost like, like a what it, it, I don't know. It just makes him a good like guitar player in in the sense that he just knows how to convey or a his good feeling songwriter. yeah good songwriter right right yeah but like, like similar Caraba, to Kurt Cobain Caraba uses a lot of like open chords to kind of like emphasize that 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 you know that whining point that that open heart that you know that I don't yeah. know that that big that big charade that that I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to say but no I know what you know that's I know what Caraba does and, and and like people love him for it, and I love him for it because Crab is not a great guitar player, but he knows how to emphasize like his songwriting. And Billy Corgan is the same way. And I think a lot of that also is is very similar to like Cobain, because Cobain was a pretty shit singer. And songwriting wise, he just happened to write very melancholy songs and subtle, <laughs> subtle nuances that were kind of lost on the masses, myself included, mm-hmm. until recently. And his guitar playing too was was just very, very downtrodden. It was good, very sad. Yeah, it's very good, but it's not like technically speaking, it's not fucking Ingve Malmsteen where he's fucking shredding it or Eddie Van Halen ripping it up. Right, he see, plays that, to the song. They they play to the song, and they're Ingv- really good at it. Ingve Malmsteen is the complete opposite of like a Billy Corgan or a Caraba, right? Because <laughs> Ingve Malmsteen yeah. writes shit fucking songs but he's a phenomenal guitar player, but he doesn't know mm-hmm. how to play to himself. He overcompensates True. on the guitar with his crappy songwriting. So he's not even like in tune with himself. So he's just, he's just garbage. 
but he's fun to watch. Oh I mean, yeah, for sure. Oh, dude, like if like if I have like a minute and a half or two minutes to spare of watching someone just wank on the guitar, all day, every day, I'll watch Ingvi <laughs> Malmsteen. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, because like it's like when you listen to Ingve, it's like you listen to two songs and you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm good for like another couple months and then I'll come back to this and then listen to him play like another Beethoven suite on his fucking Stratocaster or something like that, you know? It's just too much. Like, it's just like, okay, we know you're great, but play something. Yeah, you're good, but not Dan great. Is a good guitar player, though. I mean, he, I mean, he is technically great, but if not one of the greatest guitar players, wasted, technically speaking. Wasted talent. It's crazy. Oh, man. He's he's nuts. He should have just anyway, joined like Dragon Force or some shit. And that would have been cool. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that would be kind of cool, right? Whatever. Oh, damn. Yeah, Space Boys. Okay, but yeah. Space Boys is Stinker. And then the other one is Disarm. Like I said, I, mm. uh, I actually did watch several videos of him just doing acoustic. Because I thought, mm-hmm. I, said, I, I said, I wonder if, he, like, if, if it would actually be really good if it was just like him doing acoustic and it was hard to find a video yeah. of him doing strictly just acoustic. Cause a lot of times it was like James and, and Darcy also chiming in and then JC doing the brushes on, on just a snare. So it was hard to find just like a straight acoustic, but dude, it was so fucking good. And when you can find like a version of disarm, cause even on the deluxe version, it's disarm acoustic, but it's the same fucking song, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's yeah. not acoustic. And, and I just, I want to hear just, just, Billy Corgan and a guitar. And I want to hear just almost like a child because this song is very good. Like lyrically, it's fucking good and it's deep and it's, it's brutal. So sad. Like yeah. I want to hear Billy Corgan as a child play disarm while also listening to like a child play the acoustic guitar. Cause again, that he's not a great guitarist and, and, but he doesn't on purpose, but so maybe he's a good guitarist. I don't know. He is a good guitarist because he knows how know. to how to play to the song. He's oh, dude. just like the repetition of the downstrokes that he good. constantly does on the acoustic guitar and disarm is is so is so high school is so is so bush league is so like that's how it's, that's it's how you effective. first write a song. But you couldn't but have that was any intentional. Other way. I know, I know. Yeah, you couldn't have it any other way. Like it's that's how good it is. And, but and and the song too itself lyrically is it's sad. It's about. Him, his childhood being abused by his stepmom, and and just it's kind of like a graphic song uh, in certain parts, and it's sad, man. I never, I mean, I've never really been a lyric man uh, ever, really, until recently. And reading some of the lyrics on this record, especially about his abuse as a child, is man, it it sucks, man. It's sad, really, really sad. But you know, helps him out when he writes songs like this, and the song blew up for them. This is one of their biggest hits was disarm let's uh let's move away from the stinkers let's get into your uh to your bb what's your biggest banger okay my bb comes later in the album and that's silver mm-hmm. fuck i will say this is my 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 bb as well is it yeah this is my oh, this is my biggest shit. banger right here yeah this, this is, is so good i love silver fuck it's so what weird do you because coming off off space boy too it's i don't know and then after it too like sweet sweet Mm-hmm. It's it's squished in between two songs that I don't know uh, whatever, but dude, like it's just like here we go, started it up. It's it starts up hard and, and throws in some really cool percussive stuff, and this is the first time we've heard we've heard like Billy and Jimmy just like vibing off each other, right? Those quiet yeah. hi hats, dude, they're so fucking nice, and we just we haven't heard these two kind of just mesh with each other. Yeah, 
and and like I, the, the I love that the tribal like the the kind of tribal drum playing during the verses too. Ah, oh, dude, I love that. It's it almost sounds a little bit like Tool, but like way better because Tool kind of suck. But um, but no, I just I love that. And like you said, the way they vibe off of each other, the timing is kind of weird too. When like right right from the start, it's kind of weird. Like it almost sounds like it's about to fall apart, but it's just damn, dude, it's so good. It's the longest song on the record as well. And then also from what I read, this this song was kind of inspired by watching um what was the fucking band's name? They went to go see a band and they played for like they played the jam for like thirty minutes and that kind of inspired this. So then they started to do it too and they were jamming for like forty, forty five minutes and the, to the point where like the club owners or whoever were saying like you guys need to stop and play like actual songs and this and that and they kinda like said fuck you and they just kept doing it and that's kinda like the inspiration behind the song. Was them just kind of like riffing off of each other and jamming, which is so cool, man. It's so cool. It's 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 funny too because a lot of the stuff that I like on this album are because they jam a lot on this album, yeah. And a lot of the stuff that I like are the jam stuff, but then a lot of stuff that I think is just okay is the jam stuff. It's like <laughs> what? this weird. It's this no weird sense. line. And no, it does because sometimes when they jam they go somewhere and in this song it went somewhere and it did something. But other times when they're jamming, it's just, it's like when we jam, we just play the same thing over and over and over. And then imagine that for four five, six minutes, three songs deep. <laughs> it's irritating. Eh, I guess not <laughs> it's really annoying. Well, let's play this song's uh, a let's, banger though. No, it absolutely is. Let's play Let's play a little bit of silver fuck and then we'll get into a little bit more of lyrics and, and all that good stuff. So, um, so here is silver fuck from, Smashing Pumpkins.
All right, there you go. There's a little bit of a uh, silver fuck from the Smashing Pumpkins. I played a little bit longer than normal just because there's so much to take in. That lead guitar <laughs> playing, the the weird harms, it's man, it's so good. I love the song. Best song on the record. There's there's so many there are so many parts to this song that like this alone could take us like thirty minutes to just dissect this fucking Probably. thing. Yeah. Like when Corgan yells, he like yell sings mm-hmm. over the cymbal crashes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think that's solid. About. I think that's really cool. Oh, and man. and there's like this fast part fake out when they come in really fast, but then it it sort of like stops being fast mid bar and sounds like choppy, but then jumps right back into it. It's it's weird. It's fantastic. There's some great chord progressions, like and then. What like what you said before we played the song, like the way that Jimmy and Billy play off of one another in the song is just dude, it's so cool. Like like you could tell just Billy is has always said that Jimmy is like his musical soulmate and this is one song that perfectly exemplifies that. Like it's just they play so in sync with one another, it's insane. It's hard to tell like who's leading who. Like is Billy did Billy throw down something and then Jimmy th- threw in that drum part or did was Jimmy just playing the drum part and then Billy thought like okay I could I got something for this you know it's like who's leading who like they're both just doing it together and, and there's no there's no star at that point it's just yeah it's just like two dudes just like jamming together and that's the beauty such of like it opposite <sighs> instruments too that they're that they're playing at the same time it's it's a very like it's so primal like it, when you break it down too, like it's just so basic and it's just like the most simplistic way of like writing a song, just getting with your best buddy and just jamming it out like that. And that's what the feeling of this song is straight up them jamming. It's so good. And it's everything just stops at some point and then just starts to crawl along. And right when everything starts to get to that, that halfway point, mm-hmm. like I had my speakers up pretty loud and I don't know, just, just like the, the bass tones were so loud on my speakers and they, they got like when the bass guitar rings out and then, cause I have my drum set next to my speakers mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't happen too often. But when the bass rings out long enough to where the snare, oh, yeah. like the chains on the snare start to rattle, <laughs> that's when you know, like that's when you know it's good. Yeah. Seriously. Ah, dude, this record. happened. Like, should we, should we kind of get into the background of the record or should we talk about our, our, should we talk about Silverfuck more? Second banger? What do you think? They got tons more about Silverfuck. Okay, let, let's get, let's stay on Silverfuck then. So, so like, how, okay, again, how, like halfway through, you know, you know, this huge drop is coming, right? You you know it's going to happen, yeah, because that's that's what music does. It's it goes up and down, and that's that's what makes you feel things. But first, they lead you through this like eclectic guitar solo that helps kind of <laughs> ease some of that tension. And then it goes back yeah. into Corgan singing, but the buildup is still there. Like the pressure is still about to burst. The climax is coming. And then like the bang, bang, you're dead or the bang, bang, you're dead hole in your head starts that, I guess it would be the bridge. Yeah. And then, you know, for sure it's coming, but it's been like three, four minutes already. And, and I don't know. And at this point you're thinking there's no way that this drop can be as intense as they're, as they're letting us believe that it's going to be. And it is. 
Like it does mm-hmm. not disappoint whatsoever. When it drops, it doesn't let up. It's fast and hard and crazy and explosive and, and insane. It's, it's, it's everything that you wanted it to be. This song is so fucking good. This song was, was unbelievable. This is, this is probably my favorite pumpkin song that, that I've heard this week. This is, this is crazy really? good. Okay. This is unbelievable. I just cannot believe that that they threw me on this this journey. That they that they had me multiple times. <laughs> that they had me doubting. They 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 had me like wanting to like check Spotify to see if it was still even playing. If this was the same song, <laughs> dude, I was a doubter, one hundred percent for this. And then they they dropped it on me and, and blew me out of the water. Yeah, this is one of those songs where water. where I, when I first listened to Siamese Dream the first couple times. I would for, I would listen to it and then I'd forget I would forget that I was listening to Smashing Pumpkins and then I'd think like oh my god this is really good and I looked and every time it was silver fucking I, and then I would restart the song and then just listen to the song like once or twice to just kind of like absorb the song because there's so much to it it's so long there's so many parts and oh my god dude this song is amazing I I I love this song absolutely love this song I don't know I don't know what else I got to say about it I mean lyrically that's one There's B. not a lot. That's our. That's both of our one Bs. Yeah, it, it is. And lyrically, it's kind of like kind of all over the place. But I think that was the point because the song was more of a jam. Uh, but kind of what I was getting from it was like it was about the breakup with his girl with a girlfriend, and how they both knew the relationship was coming to an end, and so they just kind of like amicably split. But outside of that, like that's like the first half of the song lyrically, and then the second half just seemed like something completely different. And I. I don't know that I couldn't, I couldn't really pick up on anything in the second half of the song lyrically at least, but I don't know what you have. I, I feel, I feel the same. I, I think like the, like the opening verse of him telling someone that he hears their complaints and sadness mm-hmm. and even in the happy times that they're supposed to be happy, he still can't be happy. Like the summer metaphor, summer usually coincides with like happiness and being carefree and, but even that has failed in the relationship yeah, and he's gotten to the point now where he doesn't really care. But this is this is an example of of a song where the lyrics are they're okay, they're yeah. fine. But because the music is so damn good, it doesn't really matter what the fuck he says. Yeah, I mean the lyrics clearly take the back seat here, and that's totally it's totally okay. Like they absolutely should because you can't really the lyrics can't match up to the music and the song itself. So let it take the back seat and just flow with it. Let him jam. So, oh boy, what else? You got anything else on Silverfuck or what? No, that was a that was a doozy. Also, let me let me say this real quick. To title the song Silverfuck with "fuck" in the title, that's kind of a ballsy move. Even back in the nineties, that was pretty ballsy. So one word too, right? Yeah, one word. What other band has "fuck" in the title of a one word thing (laughs) that's similar to this? Do you remember? No. Angel there, Fuck by the Misfits. Oh yeah, oh, that's my true. favorite Misfits song. Yeah, but that was like. So 70s. was this? But was is this is this a? But it's one word. Like how do you true. never see fuck as like two separate words, but thrown together in one word with fuck as the last word of that now new word, except for like the Misfits, right? Is that is this like a like an homage, a throwback to it? I don't think so because the song. I mean, the, both songs are wildly different in style. Like, there's no, there's nothing similar. Not even like lyrically. This the neither song matches up together. They don't. They're not similar at all. 
Well, I mean, no, it I think it's entirely like, coincidental. Like musically, musically doesn't have to be a throwback, but did, maybe Corgan is a big fan of the Misfits. Maybe one of these guys mm. is a big fan of the Misfits. It's just weird. I've never seen. I mean, prior to the Misfits too, I've never seen that either. But I don't know. I've just, you just don't see that very often. It, it might be an homage to them, but outside of that, outside of the the title, I don't I don't see any sort of connection at all. But who knows? Okay, highly coincidental. Mm. Not highly you coincidental. Be? Come on, it's highly not, coincidental. It's are there big coincidences highly. and little coincidences, or are they just coincidences? I mean, they're everything's a, they're all coincidences, but there are some that are. So there are are there differences between a big and a little coincidence, or are they just a coincidence? Well, technically, they're all coincidences. But would but you say are, something? Oh, that's a, that's a big coincidence, or would you, would you just say, oh, that's a coincidence? Depending on the situation. I would say one. So you do the think other. there's a difference? There, there's a difference between a big and a small coincidence. Well, yeah, but in the end, they're okay. all a coincidence, right? Well, of course, every shade of blue is still blue, but there are still baby blues and light blues and sky blues and foo foos and all the other blues. You're an idiot. Okay. What is what is what is what is your two B? My two B, uh, Geek USA. That one, Geek USA. Geek USA. I, I'm a sucker for heaviness, for heavy songs. This is easily the heaviest song on the record uh a little bit of what i was reading about this song too they they actually overdubbed 30 guitar guitar tracks over this over one another throughout the song that's pretty crazy that's 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 a lot especially back then when you know they were i think they recorded this this album on tape i don't think they maybe they had started using some sort of some form of pro tools but i think for the most part it was all done analog and that's a lot that's a lot but yeah, no, it's just along with the guitar playing, the the crazy heavy guitar playing. Jimmy's playing is fantastic on the drums. They're they're almost unmatched. Like he's just he's all over the place, but just holding it together so well. But then he still has that that swing to his playing. Like he has a very he has a loose style of playing that at times sounds like it's gonna fall apart, but it never does because he's so fucking good. He's just I cannot just say. A million times like how good fucking Jimmy Chamberlain is as a drummer. He's phenomenal. And he's just look he makes it look so easy. Did you ever did you watch any videos of him playing? I mean I watched like live videos of them playing and he I assume it was him. I'm sure it so, was him. Yeah. I mean it just he he makes it look so easy and so so simple, but you were you or I were to go sit on a drum kit and we wouldn't be able to play half the shit that he plays. Like the the little fills and the nuances that he has, like, dude, the guy is—he's amazing. What he likes to, what he likes to do a lot that that I like, and it's super subtle. Is he likes to hit the snare a lot, like that little roll mm-hmm. after you hit the snare. If you're doing like the four count, like the the bass and the snare, and then after you go back to the bass, he'll hit the snare a couple times and do like that small, soft little roll. He yeah, does that a lot. He does. But what's even better is that he does it. Not when it's like quiet, and mm-hmm. I, I wrote in my notes somewhere, but I'm not going to search through it. But what irritates me about about other drummers, particularly like Travis Travis Barker, mm-hmm. is when when things are quiet, that's when he does it. But yeah. when things are not quiet, that's when 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 Jimmy does it. So when everyone else is is being quiet, he is also quiet, and he knows when to shut the fuck up. <laughs> and just let things ride, let things ring out, let things yeah. just be quiet. But then there are other times when things are quiet and he'll come in super loud and, and be like obnoxious almost, 
but then it leads somewhere. It goes into something. It transitions into something else. Yeah. So the dude, like the dude, is like an like a like a conductor, like like an like a conductor for an orchestra almost, and he knows exactly what he's doing and when to be quiet and when to be loud, and when to when to let everybody know that they're transitioning into something else. And it, but it's all still just just super subtle. Like unless yeah. you were listening for it, you would never even pick up on it. You're absolutely right. He's 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 a drummer who has no never overplayed on a song, but you know he could. And when he does overplay, it matches with everything else. Like it's it's just enough of overplaying to where like uh, just it adds so much to a song and like a, a perfect example like you said was Travis Barker. Like he constantly overplays and it seems like as we go through the years, like he overplays more and more and more with every song with Blink or whoever he's playing with. It just gets more and more annoying. Yeah, but Jimmy Chamberlain just knows, dude. The guy is—I have nothing bad to say about his playing at all. Like he's truly, truly remarkable. Ah, he's so good. I don't care. This is my uh, this this is my four B, and okay. uh, obviously in the beginning you gotta love the drum roll intros. Yeah, I love absolutely. drum rolls, and I love when I love when songs start off with a drum roll. Can't get enough <laughs> of it. And and yeah. I agree, dude. I think Jimmy lets loose in this song, and it's a fucking jam song. And again, much much like a lot of other Pumpkin songs, like you don't know who's leading this jam sesh. Yeah. And so sometimes when you have like a jam sesh, you'll you can hear like in the Jeff Beck band, like you can hear Beck lead the people. In the, a lot of the Miles Davis stuff, you can hear Miles Davis lead everybody else going into other things. And this one, like, who the fuck is leading? I don't know. Like yeah. it's it's. It's like one guy playing all of the instruments because he knows what's going to happen, <laughs> but they all transition so seamlessly and so perfectly. It's weird. Mm-hmm. And it's it's crazy like how like kind of understated he is at times. Like when when Billy is kind of going off on the little guitar solos and the leads and everything, we're just kind of wild about it. And then Jimmy, like at, at, on like the service level, you think he's playing like very subtly and kind of just like playing along but then when you when you really focus on his playing like he's playing some intricate fucking stuff there with on the snare and the hot and the hi-hat and the the ride it's it's so cool and what i love so much about his drumming and from a lot of drummers is like when a drummer can utilize their snare bass drum hi-hat and ride cymbal when that when they can utilize all of that through most of a song and do it really well like that's a really good drummer to me like when you're not like playing all the toms and like hitting you know ten different symbols throughout a song, like if you can contr- if you can control it down to like five pieces on your kit and still make it sound that big <laughs> and bombastic, that is truly impressive to me. Five and, pieces. And Jimmy Chamberlain does it. You know, John Bonham was another one. Like he he didn't he knew when to play when to hit the toms and do certain things, but he also knew when to groove. But then you have somebody like who might. I don't even know who to try to compare him to right now off the top of my head, but some some bands just try to like they love to hit every fucking drum like a shit ton of times in, in a three minute song and it's just like, dude, relax, let the song breathe. You know, if you're gonna throw in your little like fun stuff, your intricate technical stuff, do it subtly. Like that's way more effective. And that's what Jimmy does on this song and most of his playing. That's like the like the difference between the guy Michael on the road, who used to play at downtown Disney. Oh yeah! Remember, and he had like oh my like a forty piece drum drum set, and then he also had that huge gong that he would hit. No, Jimmy on the road wasn't that. No, Jimmy on the road was the acoustic guy. No, Michael on the road. 
Michael. Oh yeah, Michael. On the, I'm sorry. Yeah, Michael on the road was the guy with the yeah. acoustic guitar. No, the the guy with the acoustic guitar, the guitar was not that. Michael on the road was the guy with the drums. Was he? I remember yeah, both. Because, I remember because the Ryan drummer. And I, the guitarist guy was the guy with the dreads, and he was very. That guy was like fucking money. That guy was really good. That guy was underrated. Michael on the road was overrated. But that's the difference between <laughs> Michael on the road and then like Victor De Lorenzo. One of the, I don't know if he's the original, but the early drummer for the Violent Femmes who would sometimes only play with like a hi hat and a snare drum, yeah, and then carry a song with just two pieces. Like you just don't, you don't need, you don't need, no. you don't need so much stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. you a lot of people like Neil Peart, like he he can have so much stuff and he can utilize it and sound fucking fantastic. That's but very that's true. like one of the few, you know. But, but Neil Peart knew how to groove to a song as well. Like he didn't. It wasn't like he was constantly all over the drums, like. Like if you listen to like compare like Neil Peart to uh, Terry Bozio who played with Frank Zappa, like Terry Bozio had that even more insane kit than Neil did. And he was just constantly hitting something and like, like it was never ending. Like he never, Terry Bozio never really grooved, but Neil Peart could, like he was able to groove and he proved it time and time again with Rush. Like he was, he could be a groovy drummer. And I feel like that's how Jimmy is too. Like he knows how to, Fucking just let it, just lie back and just let the song go. Ah, he's so good. (laughs) So good. Anyway, let's play a little bit of Geek USA because why the hell not? So here we go from the Smashing Pumpkins. What a way to just like have everything stop and just kind of like very slow and kind of lounge jazz and then break back into the the craziness of that song. Fuck. 
that fucking song, man. Geek USA. What's what's dude? What's cool too is like there's this falling guitar riff in that fast part mm-hmm. that is like one of my favorite parts of this whole song too. It's such a dumb. There's a couple guitar riffs on this album and, and different songs that are so basic and so so like first band status, but they're 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 thrown in there so in the background. Yeah. I don't know. It makes it, it makes it so, it makes it so good. And and there's this falling guitar riff in this one during the fast part that I, I really, I really dug into. I really dug. I thought it was really cool. I think his guitar playing and his lead playing in the song is fucking fantastic as well. Like he's, he's just as subtle as Jimmy is at times, you know, like he knows when to throw in certain notes and certain, certain lead parts that a lot of guitarists wouldn't throw in. Like he's, it's straight up good songwriting. Billy Corey well, is great. It's hard. It, it's hard too because, from what I read, he did go back and then redub a lot of of other people's parts, a lot of Darcy's parts, a lot of James is 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 his parts. James is, is, is. And, and so it's I don't know who did what and when and where, so it's hard to like differentiate between all of them, which um, which I also think kind of adds to the reason why me and a lot of people have hated Billy Corgan and Smashing Pumpkins for so long because that's super irritating. And if that's true, true like what I read after the recording was done, he's like going in and and redubbing other people's parts. Like that's just fucking, that's so irritating. That's so disrespectful. True. So should we get into more of the recording or should we get into your 2B first and then the recordings? No, we're already, we're already, we're already, uh, we're already deep into the recording. Let's Let's get that. Okay, so I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like, it's irritating that he did that because if it's true, it it sucks for for James and for Darcy. But that doesn't take away from the song. Like, honestly, like the song is still there. The song is fucking great. So, honestly, who cares how it's recorded or how it was recorded? Like, this is the final. This is the finished product. So that's not true. No, no, because now you're saying the ends sort of justify the means because now you're. You're comparing it to no matter what happened going up to this point, as long as the final product is good, then who cares how we got there? And that's, I mean, that's a slippery slope as it is, not just in music, but in life in general. Like, no, but it, that, 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 sh- that shouldn't be okay. Just because something turns out good, if it got there by unscrupulous means, like we shouldn't accept it as gospel just because the final product is good. Like that's no, we should question every single thing prior to that. And that's, that's, that's bad. That's irrit. That's fucked up. If he, if he did change all of the licks and then I don't know, I don't know exactly which one, because I mean, who the fuck knows? I don't know exactly mm-hmm. when James or Darcy played, if they played at all on this album, because it's very well likely that they played nothing on this and he just gave him credit just so he at the time wouldn't be fucking crucified. I don't know, but that's shitty. That is such a shitty thing to do. And luckily they went on to do other things and I mean, he still continued to be a shitty person, but they went on to do other <laughs> things and be semi friends. But no, I don't, I don't, I don't like the ends justify the means type of thing. So no, I'm not giving him a pass on that. But he was the main not song. Like he it. was, he is cre- he He is credited as the main songwriter. And not only that, James and Darcy and even Jimmy have come out and said that, the first two records, Gish and Siamese Dream, everything but the drums and like some of the, the orchestra stuff was um was all Billy. Like Billy played all the guitars, he played all the bass. So 
it's hard to to blame him for like or it's hard to accuse him of stealing it stealing anything because there's no evidence showing that he stole anything or that he overdubbed their stuff like i think he honestly just like it's been told over and over again that he just went in there and did everything himself because it was faster because that was his vision that he wanted to to do something with his own songs and he knew the old, the fastest and the best way to do it were to be was to be him to go in there and and record it himself and that's what he did so i don't think he had james and darcy come in and record stuff and then re-recorded it i that, i don't i don't believe that at all see i don't I, I i'm not on that boat either however i do think that when you're writing songs and you're writing songs to set you apart from gish and to not be just another gish and you want to elevate yourself and and not be like in the shadow of another band that was really mm-hmm. big at that time everyone was was saying that you're going to be like the second coming of that other band i think that you you employ other people your friends of the time and you write music together and if they came up with a song even a blueprint of a song i think that taking that song and then extrapolating on it Maybe that he took a riff that they did. Maybe like they all just jammed and they had a good riff. Maybe Darcy brought a riff. I don't know. And then and then Billy took that riff and then just made it better. See, I that's don't still that's still not incorporating like the band. He's just doing it on his own. But he never would have got there without his band. See, I don't. And I, I don't, don't think he would have got there without his band. I don't buy it because like when you when you look at the the way they recorded Siamese Dream, him and Butch Vig, the the producer. They were they were in the studio fourteen hour days for six seven days a week, and it was just them two. Like James and Darcy were in town, but they weren't really there in the studio. And then Jimmy was so strung out on heroin that he would be gone for three four days at a time, and just record his drums over like a several hour session. You know, so it's like it was primarily uh, Billy and Billy and Butch in the studio, and then their engineer. I forgot who the engineer's name was. But it was primarily like three, maybe four people at the most. So I mean, it was all Billy. I mean, there, there's no, there's really no, no evidence showing. So. There's really no evidence showing that the other members were there because this was not an album that I was created from a jam session. I, I, I know that he was the one doing all of this. And so when I say like overdubbing their parts, they they record demos, they record parts, they or record Billy something. Records he brings demos. it. He he brings it to Butch and he says, "Okay, that's a really cool thing. Why don't you re-record Darcy, but you add." You know, instead of just doing like a four note thing, why don't you add like another four notes and do like an eight nor eight chord progression type of thing? And there he, I, I, dude, I believe that Billy took stuff that they wrote and then just made it better. See, I don't think instead that, of like no. doing instead of doing something as a band, I think that he did it on his own. I think no, I think Billy gets a bad rap. I think, I think they people want to go after Billy because he was always talked about as being like the tyrant or the one who wrote all the music and this and that. Like, I feel like he was unfairly, you know, but he said things, he has said things, things such as no, I didn't want them to record because they're not very good. No, I didn't want you to. And then even like the text messages that Darcy posted on what Buzzfeed or whatever it was between her and Billy, where Billy, where Billy had said, yes, I want you to come back. And she was like, okay, well, you've done a lot of fucked up things. And he's like, yes, I've done a lot of fucked up things. I'm sorry. And then like a week later, he's like, well, we actually kind of just hired somebody else in the meantime. So we'll see you when we see you. 
Like he's a dick. He's a douchebag. Or, or there could be something nice person. Or there could be something that had, that had happened between those texts. Say those text messages and the absolutely. The she could have else. doctored those texts, or she could have omitted, you know, fucking four days worth of texts. But when it's like decade after decade after decade after decade, and people, and then like almost like ex, uh, unanimously, people think that Billy Corgan is a douche. At some point you stop defending him and you say, okay, man, give me something. Give me something to make me not think that you're a dick. What do you got? Hmm? Or maybe, or maybe people are out nothing. to get him. You're right. You're right. Him. For the past, for the past 30 years, people have been out to get Billy Corgan. And unfortunately for Billy Corgan, Billy Corgan has not come out and said that Billy Corgan has done no wrong. So <laughs> it is probably, it is, it is probably everybody else's fault. You're right. I mean, you never know. Honestly, you no, know, it is true. It could you quite possibly know. be everybody else's fault. I mean, the, the guy is, I feel like people want to get after him for like no good reason. I really think it like he's done a lot musically. He's done a lot songwriting wise. I feel like people try to blame him for things that he was not a part of, or they just want to like diminish what he's contributed to a project or whatever he's done, which is fucked up. You know, it's like, the dude clearly works his ass off and he does a lot. He's done a lot for music over the last 30, 35 years. I don't know about that, but oh, come on, I think dude. he's done a lot of good stuff. Smashing Pumpkins were one like of the most successful on, bands. Man. Smashing Pumpkins were one of the most successful bands of the 1990s. Like outside gotcha. of Nirvana. So making you a successful band makes you but there is more integral no, to the no, development of music. Gotcha. But the, but the, the difference so is Justin that Bieber is, is also just no, as important no, 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 in music no, no. history the, the, as Smashing Pumpkins are. No, the difference is that one, they've sold tens of millions of records. You're, you're still going on the success. Like that means but, nothing. Because you're not letting me finish. Because you're not letting me finish. So they, they've done all that. They've contributed. They, they've influenced thousands of bands along the way. They've... Like and not only that, Billy Corgan is an actual very good songwriter. It's not like they're just writing pop hits, you know. It's not like, you know, it's fucking NSYNC or or something like that. Like they, he hey, does write easy. really good music. But we all know NSYNC doesn't really write their music. They're just good performers and they're good entertainers and good singers. But they don't really write anything. Billy Corgan wrote wrote stuff. What he did, did everything. Do to you? If you took if you took Smashing Pumpkins off the face of the earth and they never existed, music would still be where it is today. For good or bad. I don't believe that. Everything no. everything would still have happened. If you took like no. Chuck Berry, if you took Elvis out, if you took any well, of these that's big names, that's things, unfair things comparing, would be totally different. No, no. You're putting him on such a big pedestal. Like it's I'm ridiculous. saying of the 90s. Why? Like, I'm not saying of all time. You took Nirvana out of the 90s. You took Alice in Chains out of the 90s. You took fucking no. Bare Naked Ladies out. Things would be totally different. Smashing Dude, Pumpkins? Lit. Smashing Pumpkins were way more pivotal to the lit. music scene than Alice in Chains were. Come on, dude. Get the fuck out of here. But not BNL. The only the only difference between Alice in Chains and Smashing Pumpkins Smashing Pumpkins is that the singer died. That was it. It's one of those instances where like if the singer hadn't died, would they really be as popular now as they would? Like Nirvana is a, a good example of that. As much as I love Nirvana, Nirvana wouldn't be as praised as they are nowadays if Kurt hadn't died. Same with Jimi Hendrix, same with so many other bands. So yeah. your your hatred is is coming through and it's unfair to Billy. So. I don't. I don't hate the Smashing Pumpkins, <laughs> and that has like been evident in this week. My hatred comes from you thinking that they're bigger than they are. They're a because solid they '90s band. Oh my god, dude! They that are... made some cool albums in the 2000s at best. 
<sighs> but as yeah, far yeah, as yeah, like yeah. their there's there's timestamp on history. I mean, because people love 1979 for some reason, that's going to be what they're known for. Nope. Not their awesome nope. jam sessions. Not not Jimmy Chamberlain's <laughs> fucking rad drumming. That's not what they're known for. They're known well, for 1979 wrong. and Billy Corgan's obnoxious vocals. <laughs> Good night. Call it a day. Tell me I'm wrong on that one. You're wrong. So you uh, honestly believe in 30 years from now, people are going to ta- be talking about how cool the jam sessions were on Siamese Dream and not how fun of a song 1979 is. That's well, what course. you're telling me. Well, of course, but. So I am fuck? right. Like literally but, but what who the fuck, fuck you said. But who the fuck talks about jam sessions like on a mainstream level? Nobody gives a fuck about jam sessions. Like, come uh, on, dude. Have you that, heard of the band The Grateful example. Dead? Uh, oh, that's a shitty that's a example. fucking band where people but talk not, about their jam sessions all the time. Yeah, but nobody really, nobody like in the mainstream listens to them. They have a diehard following, but nobody in the mainstream music industry listens to them or mainstream The Grateful Dead? Dude, come on, Tyler. You just, I, what are you, are you high? So, okay, so, so that, that's like saying, okay, the Grateful Dead are bigger than Led Zeppelin. That's essentially what you're saying. Like, yeah, they have a huge following, but the mainstream Oof. masses follow Led Zeppelin more than they follow the Grateful Dead because Led See, Zeppelin that's, write that's a, actual, like, more concise songs. You're, you're, you're Grateful making Dead a don't. tough argument because if you showed somebody without showing the words Led Zeppelin or Grateful Dead, if you just showed somebody like a skull from one of the Grateful Dead albums, like one of their live albums, mm-hmm. and then you showed somebody like what? I don't know, fucking the Grim Reaper from Led Zeppelin's four. What would people recognize more? Probably. Or the, what, what is it? Or what is it? The, the Zoso, the what, Zoso, right? You show that. I don't would, think, I, I don't think people would associate that with, with Led Zeppelin. Though. I think they would. I totally think they people would. They're stupid. I don't think they would. People are stupid and they wouldn't recognize the the skull from the Grateful it's, Dead either. It, it is just silly to think that the Smashing Pumpkins are having an everlasting impact on the music world other than the fact that they were a really grungy alt band from the 90s. And they're really good. That wasn't that wasn't Nirvana. You're crazy, man. When you when you talk about like grunge or alt music, you talk about Nirvana or that other band that wasn't Nirvana. That was also really good though. And that's the Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> you're you're so like you're so dead set on not accepting that the Smashing Pumpkins are really good and that they had a they massive really influence on they have a, modern a music. massive influence uh, on on 90s grunge and alt music. I think they have a massive influence, yeah, but if you took them out... But you, the, you could say the change. same thing as Nirvana. Like You could say the same thing that like they never really inspired anything outside of the grunge move, movement. You could still make that argument. I don't believe that's true. You can also no. make that same argument with Nirvana. Come on, dude. The fuck out of here. I think I, I think the rock star died with Nirvana. Like Nirvana, like not only just changed grunge music, but changed rock music in general. Yeah, I mean that's that's a fair statement. I feel like Kurt Cobain might have been like the last true rock star, even though he that was like but, the complete opposite of what he wanted. But had Kurt Cobain not died, I think that's a totally different story too. Ay ay ay. This now now we're going down this this insane rabbit hole <laughs> oh my god Let, let's um let's pull it back i didn't pull see, it my, I didn't see my 2b yet. i know that's what i'm saying let's pull it Run back two b's let's get into your 2b what, what's your 2b your second banger it's the it's the it's the first song cherub cherub rock cherub 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 is cherub like the little fat valentine's thing it's like the, the cherub is it's a little the little fat little 
kid angel and like old paintings and shit. With like the arrow and he shoots yeah, people yeah. in the butts to make them love another person. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised Cherub, this one's Cherub so Rock. high for you. I was also surprised too. <laughs> it's really good though. It's very good. I I think like like the 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 syncopation, if that's if that's the right word, the syncopation between the riff and the drums. Yeah. I think it's so tight. It's 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 like it's it's almost like robotic. Mm-hmm. It's so fucking on point. It is so tight. There is zero room for error and there's zero error. And and the melody is way cool. Like it's like the music kicks in and it's this really strong full sound. It's it an amazing opener to an album. I'm I'm with you. Like I didn't I've always kind of like even when I listen to Siamese Dream, I kinda I tend to skip over this song in today. Even though I think they're great songs, but I always skip over them because I've heard them a hundred or a million times, you know. But you know, going back this week and just kind of really diving into this, like Cherub Rock is a fucking solid song. It really is. And I don't know. I'm gonna play a little bit of it. Here it is. Uh I mean if nobody's heard it, which is crazy if they haven't, but here's Cherub Rock. There's a bit of Cherub Rock from The Smashing Pumpkins. So what else do you have on this song? Oh, damn. We're still... Okay. Um, what do you mean we're still... <laughs> I was just... I was grooving. I did, uh, you know... Yeah, you're enjoying yourself. I mean, this is... I was enjoying myself. This is one of this the slower is, hits, but it's still fucking solid. 
this is one of the songs where I think lyrically is is uh meh. This is Why this is, is a song about because this is this is a song about wanting to be a rock superstar and then being a rock superstar and then not liking being a rock superstar and wanting to not be a rock superstar anymore. It's just <laughs> like, dude, that's so that's so done. But that's it is so pretty boring. crazy, like this I mean, when you look back on it, like the pumpkins were were criticized or like torn apart by both sides, like both the mainstream and the indie scene. Nobody nobody wanted them a part of either scene, which is so crazy to me. Like they were You're but like you're already glossing over the main part. Is they're fucking lucky that anybody even cared to be criticizing them. Oh my god. Like how many people how many people start bands and and think like and later on Billy has a really fucking cool line. But like how many people start bands and think like, oh I want to be so big. I want to be big and famous. I want to at least pay rent. I want to at least, you know, play shows and get my music out to the masses. And then when it happens, he fucking complains about it. Which again, I don't it's fine. Like who cares? That's if that's if that's how he feels, that's how he feels. I don't mind it. It's just that type of song I think is always it's just it's just been done so many fucking times and I'm I'm over that type of song. True, but I feel like they were unfairly targeted. The band and Billy were unfairly targeted from from both sides, the mainstream and the indie world. Like there were there were like diss tracks from I think like Pavement and a few other indie bands. But it wasn't even like a diss track. Pavement was like so like that specific one I was reading about too. Like Billy took it the wrong way. Like even Pavement didn't make a diss track that was straight up about them. They made a diss track about the same things Billy hates. Billy hates like, like, like the record label world and and being labeled as such and and the record label breathing down their necks and even like during the recording where the record label came in one time and were worried and this whole album was like way behind schedule but like Pavement made a song about that too and Billy just took it the wrong way and Pavement were like no that wasn't even about you bro and he's like well I don't fight I don't care that's how he talks. (laughs) Billy Corgan's voice is like Conan O'Brien's jokey voice. No, like, wait, have you listened to Billy Corgan speak? His voice isn't that high. Come on. Sorry, his 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 singing voice is like Conan O'Brien's joking voice. Okay, okay. There's a difference there. There's a difference. No, like, yeah, because he actually talks like a really normal fucking guy. It's weird. <laughs> he's a very, like, it's crazy too, because like, it's almost he's a more very annoying sp- that he talks like a normal guy. Like Billy Corgan is very well spoken. He's a very smart guy. Like when he speaks, like he just seems so interesting and like very down to earth and chill. Like like he says things here and there that are like, okay, you're 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 very ambitious, clearly. But outside of that, like he makes a lot of good strong points. I don't know. I, well, I mean, I, had, had it not been for the fact that he's a huge rock star, I mean he's no different to me than just somebody I would strike a conversation up with at the grocery store. No more interesting, no more drab. It's debatable. It's debatable. Just has a better report card, but that's about it. (laughs) But I like this song. The song by 2B, it is good. I really dig the hi-hat sounds in here. The distortion Mm -hmm. tone is so heavy. It's so fuzzy. fuzz sounding. Uh, I know. But it's soft. It's still soft and like dainty. It's cool. It's weird. I know. I just love, I mean, you you already touched upon it, but that, that that clean guitar riff at the beginning, it's like dan it, dan it, dan it, dan it. It's what would you say? Syncopated was the, probably the best word to to describe it. It's just it's so cool. Yeah, it's man. It's, it's on point. It's yeah. 
it's super tight and like again there's just no room for error at that point and yeah it flows and and like the in in the in the melody too is very fluid and it works so well because of how easy it is just yeah. like that and it's back with the heavy <laughs> instrumentals and the melody sort of plays off of that like basicness it's fantastic it's a good song all right should we get more into another song what do you what do you want to do want to touch upon the music what, videos what do you think um i mean we probably should have touched upon them as we were doing the song but yeah i mean well i mean cherub rock was one of the videos so you want to get into i mean we've pretty much talked about the song and videos we've talked about the the songs with the videos already except for rocket so we've talked about cherub rock today or we've played today and then also disarm so what do you want to do yes what we can do we can do the the cherub cherub rock mm-hmm. official video okay what do you got <laughs> i mean nah, i don't know it's okay people people love this video yeah according to like the youtube comments but it starts off just very like um just very like 90s like i don't i mean how do you describe it's that like a coloring? live video like, almost but like when you take like a Polaroid picture and before it's it's fully developed, you like stick your finger on it and those colors shoot up. Yeah. Like the inverted colors, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like it's like it's all like that and it's all like distorted. I don't know. It's it's cool. Like I I watched it once and I would probably never watch it again. I'm I'm kind of with you. It's not one of their more iconic videos, but it, it's still like of the gut of the, of the gush of the gish era where it was very psychedelic, like they were wearing like more of the tie-dye stuff or just like very kind of bright colors. So it was still in that. It's like they, they were transitioning with this video into what they were getting into on this and Melancholy, where mel- Melancholy was more of like where Billy Corgan was like playing a character more than anything else. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tip, like you see, yeah, it's a typical 90s video. It's nothing really that crazy. So, I mean, I guess we can move yeah, on from that video. Right, we can move on from that video. So today was like one of the biggest videos outside of some of the melancholy stuff. Um, this was the one where with the ice cream truck and Billy Corgan has hair, and it's just it's it's one of those like very kind of brightly colored music videos, and so it's another one. Video. I liked it too, but it's still very much of the time, but not like what Cherub Rock was. This it, is this is very much of the time, but making fun of the fact that it's very of the time. Like when they're driving mm. through the desert, and the desert itself is like is like this weird orange color, almost yeah. like yellow. Where Everything it's is, to be brown is and like all of the saturation has been turned up on the uh, on the qual on the the video. So like everything is like extra bright or I don't know. It's very saturated. Corgan's smiling all the time, and you got the two kids like in the in the desert doing like the. I'm feeling this type of like <laughs> lust. It's good, dude. It's good stuff. <laughs> I like this video. Yeah, it, it's a good one. It's it's a good one. But it, I think it would arguably this one and tonight tonight and 1979 are probably their three most visually iconic videos. Would you disagree? Which one was the Which one was the 1990 or 1979 video? 1979 was the one where Corgan was in the back seat of the car. And then, like, James was the, the liquor store owner. I forgot what, who Darcy... Oh, Jimmy was the cop. And then I forgot who Darcy was. But then it's, like, the, the kids going around... Or, the guy, the, like, the teenagers going around the neighborhood jumping into the pools. And it was very, like, dazed and confused. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was, like, a... There was, like, a... 
like a tire, wasn't it? Like didn't they go down the hill on a tire or something? Yeah, or something like that. Something it, weird. Yeah, like it, that. Was just, it, it was just like they're in the backseat of a car, just like chilling. Billy Corgan looks really fucking ugly and he has a shaved head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then tonight, tonight was the one, the silent film looking one with the moon and all that stuff. I know you've seen that video. Everyone's seen that fucking video of tonight, tonight. But Let me look it up real quick. Why you talk? And then off of uh, Siamese Dream, Disarm was was the black and white video, where they were. It's just it was a lot of like close ups of their faces, and I don't really remember what happens in the video, but it's just like a very, for lack of a better word, a melancholy type of video for the song. So that makes sense. And then Rocket was the the last video, and that one was them dresses like these like astronauts kind of and i don't know it was very all these videos are so 90s it's insane dude like the tonight tonight video i just i just looked at some clips on it and that's that's essentially what the black parade is yeah but way better don't 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 even compare (laughs) don't even compare the pumpkins or melancholy to the black parade whatsoever but that song that song by MCR is pretty cool, but dude, get I mean, th- that's that's essentially the same thing. Like, my chemical romance clearly took that concept, like that's aesthetic, that's completely almost. ripped off. Yeah, no, like completely. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a little note to investigate this further. <laughs> are you gonna, are you gonna DM Gerard Way and say why did you rip off uh, Smashing Pumpkins? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna DM him and pretend like I'm a rabid Smashing Pumpkins fan <laughs> and tell him that he ripped him off and I'm gonna be all but I'm gonna be all upset and I'm gonna defend Billy Corgan and then when Billy Corgan says thank you I'm gonna tell him to go fuck himself because <laughs> I hate him too. <laughs> the the best part of it is that I know you don't hate him. I I I know you you really like Billy Corgan, but you're trying every which way to you don't know it. God to defy thing. this like you're, you're so conflicted you're so conflicted right now because you know you he's so good but you just it's hard for you to accept it it's not it's the way she goes it's the way she goes boys all right so touch upon the music videos a little bit uh what's what your is, what is your 3b my 3b uh it yeah. is oh my so we god did your 2b right did we do we what was your 2b yeah, my two B was uh, was Geek USA. My three B is oh, that's right. Is a uh, quiet, the second song. Uh, I think it's just it's another one another one of those songs that's very like guitar driven and it just kind of it, it's just very kind of what's the best way of describing it? it just kind of gets you going and it's just it's a nice transition from Cherub Rock into Quiet, and then it kind of slows down again on today. So it's like it's sandwiched in there very well. I feel. I think it's good. I, I think it's good too. Like like going from Cherub Rock to today, you need you need something in between them. And that's mm-hmm. like Quiet is a is a perfect transition song. And that's my five B. Like I love that drum that little drum diddly intro. Mm-hmm. It just like the whole song itself is a simple riff to like build a song around. Yeah. But it's got the kind of same flow and dynamic as Cherub Rock, but it's heavier. It's much heavier. It's heavier and like less less vocal melody driven yeah so it, it's a perfect transition and at, 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 at the one minute 50 one minute 50 second mark that's that's when there's this really cool like crescendo transition i think i think it's fucking rad and then there's a guitar slide that slides in and i think it's absolutely i think it's absolutely perfect i think so too and 
the the guitar solo too is like so crunchy sounding and it's very kind of raw and then oh man it's a great song so here's a little bit of a uh, quiet from smashing pumpkins Okay, there's a little bit of quiet. Played it up through that the little the build up there with bit. the drums. There you go. I know I played it. I wanted to play it up through a minute you, fifty. You know, you talked about it, so yeah, you had to. That dude, that crescendo in there is so good. It just it almost like comes out of nowhere. It just mm-hmm. it's it seems out of place, but I don't know. But it's not. It's you know? so it's, ripping. Like it's it it is unexpected. It's absolutely unexpected. But for whatever reason, it works. It works so fucking well. So, uh, and this song, it, like, you know, it, lyrically it touches upon his child, Billy's childhood and how he was abused. And, you know, how, how as a child you, you keep, you tend to keep quiet because you feel like there's no escape from what you're experiencing. You don't know who to go to. So you just you shut your mouth and accept it for what it is. And it is what it is. Even though I fucking hate that term, oh. but, but you know what I mean? It's just, it's a sad song too. And, the, the kind of like the, how the lyrically it's so dark and then the song is called quiet and then the the music itself is so loud and bombastic and heavy and oh man just the way the song was just well, built was so good it's it's just like the 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 feeling behind the song of being quiet because you know kids are are quiet when they think they're going to get in trouble even when they shouldn't be getting in trouble and, and, and they're being abused, kids will be quiet and pretend they're sleeping and, and do other things like that mm-hmm. to not draw attention to themselves, to not draw attention to the fact that they're about to be in trouble. 
but in actuality, like they want to be kids. They want to be loud and annoying and, and, and do things. And like, that's what the music is behind this. And the lyrics are, are like the total opposite. And that's heavy, dude. And I, the lyrics are good here. There's a couple of lines here that I really love. Just, I think they're solid, but like so what? one is like my eyes, my eyes never forget you see behind me. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's, that's solid because like given the abuse that he endured, in his early life, like this line is sad, like beyond belief, so many different meanings, like one, his parents looking through him as if he isn't even there to see behind him. And that's how he feels that he's being perceived by his parents. Like he's, he's non-existent, you yeah. know, he doesn't exist. His, his parents don't care about him because he has said that he was emotionally and as well as physically abused, both just as bad as the other. And and another reason or another I guess interpretation of this is is a more meta thing, but but seeing as though like like seeing the mistakes he's made and only focusing on the past, like seeing behind him, you you only you only see behind me, you only see the mistakes that I've made, which is oh, so yeah. fucked up because kids kids are only making mistakes just so they can become better, but when you start to like dwell on those mistakes as you would an adult. Yeah. That's when that's when like the, the the development stops and starts to become like toxic and that is like you should never make a kid you should never plunge and and, and like I like to say plunging because like a plunger like digs up old shit from the toilet. Yeah. So you don't want to plunge stuff with a kid like you would like a relationship, you know? Like you 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 with your significant other and like, "Oh, well you remember that time?" and then you plunge something up. Like you yeah. should never do that with a kid because kid is only there as to be a sponge, to learn from you, to, to, to be a better person than ideally than you ever were. And so I think that's such a sad fucking thought to, th- to have a kid, to have a child think like you only focus on my mistakes to even think that a child would even think that they make too many mistakes. Yeah. Like that is, that's so sad, man. That's it's, so, Oh, that just like breaks your heart. It's so terrible. It's truly like, Ah, it's so, I, I don't know. I, I have no other words. It's just so fucking sad. I mean, when, when you put it in that context, it just makes it even worse. Like, ay, ay, ay. like and like this, this whole like emotional abuse thing is just, it. You, like even now I see it like other parents and just being around other kids and other things like this. And you just see kids just feeling so defeated and so, and so like insecure about themselves so early on at like five, six years old and feeling like they can't conquer the world. And like, why can't a six year old feel like he can't conquer the world? I don't know. That's some fucked up shit. That's not, that ain't right. They should feel like that when they're like 14, you know, like 14 should be a good age when they realize that they can't conquer the world and then you hone in on those goals, but not when they're six, not when like, that's, that's just too, it's like, that's just too fucked up. It's destroying the innocence of childhood. That's essentially what it is. And I feel like we're seeing that more Fuck and more in society. I mean, I don't have kids, so I can't say to that extent. But I mean, I from everything I view, like it, the innocence of childhood is, be, is slowly being destroyed and eroded uh, very quickly, it seems, too. Especially from like when we were kids in the 90s. So, yes. Know. it's And the line, Jesus, Jesus, are you listening up there to anyone at all? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's always such a last ditch effort, right? Like like that that old saying: "There's no there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole." Yeah. Like no matter what, like when when shit hits the fan, you're going to be praying to something, and it's always the last resort. 
and speaking from the mindset of a child, quiet, the song, if like the kid who, I mean, as far as I know, and as far as I've read and listened to Smashing Pumpkins songs, he was not a religious, maybe brought up in a religious household, but not a religious person. And so mm-hmm. for him to bring out these Jesus lyrics and appealing to a higher authority at this point, that is a last-ditch last effort, and, and that's sad, too. Well, I do know that he, I mean, he was raised Catholic, and then I think early in his, his adult life, he was kind of like, I guess you could say agnostic, but in, in more recent years, or maybe like the last decade, he's reverted more towards religion. But then even, even on this record, he does make reference to to multiple biblical verses and, and, and things like that. So it's, it wasn't too outside the box, but I, I understand what you mean. Like when he's a child, a child see, a child sees everything like very simplistically. They don't, they're not going to like think of like certain particular, they're not going to think of particular verses from, from the Bible, but they're going to think of, you know, just Jesus as the, the savior, the one to, to help him, to help him or her in their struggles or whatever. So I, I see what you mean. But then also in that in that same verse, in verse two, the first part of it says silent metal mercies castrate boys to the bone. And I feel like that's him saying that, you know, boys are treated more harshly than girls in certain as children. They're, they're treated more harshly to an extent where like their boys are meant to be more, you know, they're, they're meant to be more tough and just resilient and just to to take things as they go and not to be emotional or whatever. And I feel like this is his way of saying like, you know, that's like, it's not as black and white as that. Like there are multiple layers and, and so many different, different, like it's, everything's way more complex than just that, you know, than, than just say tough, you know, be tough and just like deal with it. Like it's sad. It's really sad. That's a good line too, because I mean, in several things that I read, his emotional abuse came from the fact that he was, I mean, just to like put a, 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 I don't know, a term on it, I guess he wasn't normal. He was more sensitive than what your normal child would be. He was more emotional than what a normal child would be, whatever that means. But even he, like he understands that. And so because he was more emotional, because he was more sensitive, he had like a shitty childhood. And so like growing up and becoming who he is now, he understands that for for x amount of years he was told because he was a boy that you can't show emotion you can't cry you can't hurt and so now you know in relationships and life he feels like he's broken yeah. but like dude that was like that's like all of us mm-hmm. you know like fucking society in general is like leaps and bounds behind of what should be it's true and and he's terrible like reading more about like the bullying and stuff when he was growing up because of his birthmark on his arms and hand like have you have you actually seen his arms and stuff i don't think it's that bad i mean everything i've seen it it's, it's pretty it i mean it's definitely noticeable but it, i mean think of it when you're seven eight years old that's true and you know other kids don't understand that like as us as an adults we're like okay well i mean the guy has a birthmark we're done like no more thought put into it. But you know, when you're seven, eight years old, that's all kids are going to focus on. Cause it's, they're the only ones that have a birthmark like that. So it's like, it's the, it was the bullying from that. And so like, it's, it's a lot of trauma. And I think even to this point, like he, he only, he always wears like long sleeve shirts or jackets or shit like that, which is, I don't know. He'll probably, I mean, he'll, I mean, realistically he'll probably never get over it Yeah, because it's just like the subconscious 
this thing that he he's will never get over because of, of how traumatizing his life was and this coincides with with another song of of just like life life is life is miserable life is suffering i i, I mean not in the sense of like suffering you're drowning but like the Buddhist, the the four paths to enlightenment, the four noble truths. Life is suffering. Yeah, like this is this is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. But without, but then it's really also what the song is. But also what what uh, what other people say or religious texts say that it's like there's no growth without suffering. So if there was no suffering, none of it, we would all be stale and like life would just be bland and linear and boring. Like there's only growth in suffering. So, oh, it's Hummer. Was that wait? What's Hummer? Hum, okay, so Hummer, like, I think it's an okay song. I don't think it's a banger, but I, I think, think it's, it's okay. pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, so, so like Hummer, I think I, it's it's the idea of of life not being for like the faint of heart, and and life's not for the optimists. Life, life is suffering. Life is the Dhaka, mm-hmm. or the for the first noble truth of Buddhism. Corgan explains that like a Hummer was just a person who likes to hum from yeah. what I read, just humming. And and you think like humming, like I hum a lot, but humming is, is just, it's a real subtle way to be happy. And, and because you don't want to sing because you're afraid of ridicule and you don't want to, you know, talk loudly or whatever it is. Cause so you hum and humming is, is like low key. It's usually unintrusive, but people still poke fun at you when you hum, right? Yeah, it's, it's true. It's it's a very plain old people thing to do, hum. But it's <laughs> it's looked at as like you're fucking crazy. You're a crazy person. But no, it's like humming is such like an innocent thing to do, and kids do it all the time. Kids do like, mm, and they'll like hum and they'll skip, and it's so innocent and so childish. But like that's not what life is, and I think that's what Hummer in this entire album and almost like Billy Corgan's entire existence is just him trying to trying to, to, to cope with the fact that life sucks and his life sucked even worse than probably most people. Yeah. And so how does he deal with it? I don't know. I don't even think he fucking knows, but it's sad. And, it's really and sad. I, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I, I think Hummer lyrically is a good, good song, but I think the song itself is fine. Well, and then also sp- there. speaking of like, you know, his, his mindset at the time after Gish was made, they, they went and toured for like 12 or 14 months something that they had never done, you know, they had at most they had toured for like a month. So like it was that the cult that was like the shock of, of stardom to an extent, even though they, they weren't even at their, their biggest selling point at, at this time. And it was him saying like, you know, he's hit, he's hit a brick wall. Like he hasn't, he doesn't know what he can do more songwriting wise. And he was constantly thinking about committing suicide. And he was, it got to the point where he was saying like he was fantasizing about his death and like what would happen after his death and how people would feel. And just like he, he was saying it consumed his life, the reaction to his death. And that's all he wanted. Like it, it, he, I didn't explain it that well, but the way he explained it was, was from today was like, but it was just like so weird. Like I've never heard somebody explain like suicidal ideations, the way Billy Corgan did at this time. Like, it was like a, it was like truly a fantasy for him. I've, I just, I've never heard it explained this way or so, so explicitly. It so, was okay. So sad today, and interesting. today is my three B is my third banger. Mm-hmm. And I, guess we're I think this, 
I think this goes in with what you're saying. I think that first of all, I think the sequencing is great. The first mm-hmm. couple songs lead to a slower, heavy song like today would 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 be. Yeah. If it wasn't today, it would be something like today. That's just where this album was going in its direction. I think it's fine. I think it's great. I like the play, like the clean guitar over the heavily distorted guitar. I think that also plays on that you know, that suicide contemplating life. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it type of thing? Yeah. And then like those little bendy lead guitar fills that they do, those, whatever the fuck those yeah. things are. Those are so yeah. cool. I think those are so rad. But, but I think like the lyrics, like the writing here is cool. So knowing this song isn't a happy song, but the first line gives that impression. And so, Prior to even this week, like if if you were to ask me what the lyrics are to today, I would only recite today is the greatest day or whatever. That's the only thing I would ever be, ever be able to recite to you. And then if you yeah. ask me like, what do you think that's about? I would probably say, oh, it's probably like a song that he wrote and it's probably about like a girlfriend and da, 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 da. And I would go on not knowing what the <laughs> fuck this is even about. True. Very but true. I think, I think that's like the masses. That's not just me. I'm not, I'm not isolated in this, in this mindset. I think there are millions of people and you could probably pull people. I mean, just, you know, in, in your, in your normal day, you could probably ask people and they would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that is absolutely fucking perfect for this song. That is exactly what he wanted. He wanted people to on the surface think that, oh yeah, when I say things like this, you think that everything is fine because you don't want to believe, you don't want to look deeper, you don't care enough about me as a person, about me as a songwriter, about us as a band to dig deeper into what this actually means. You only hear what you want to hear. And that is yeah. the first fucking line. That is the opener. And this song is super sad. It's super fucked up. And he knows it. And he played us all. And it, it's he funny because it's us, only... Dude. He got me good. It's only the first two lines because everything after that is just wildly depressing everything it's just the third line is can't live for tomorrow tomorrow's much too long i'll burn my eyes out before i get out like that's the whole the whole essentially the chorus dude, the dude if you poll people they don't know that yeah. right because the first line is so fucking iconic yeah like yep. <laughs> who does that it's it's such a like i don't even, i don't even know like it's 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 the player it's, it's it's the fool playing the fool, I guess. <laughs> and then the outro of the song is just him saying, "Today is the greatest. Today is the greatest day." And then it's just kind of like it's kind of that that repetition of it, and but it's just so obviously sarcastic and so just ironic. And it, he's a great songwriter, man. I don't know why you hate him so much, but I think this is the best songwriting that he's done on today. This really? is this is yeah. I think I think this is like him as a songwriter. I think this is his best because of 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 what I said. I think he had a deeper meaning. He made everybody think, knowing that everyone is just going to latch on to that first riff because it's it's very catchy, it's yeah. very clean, it's very happy sounding. And then when the you know the distorted stuff comes in, that's just that's just very nineties. Of course, and maybe he even wrote that off as like, hey, this is just very nineties. People. People write this off. People will only remember the high part rift and then the greatest day part and then not really know the true meaning, not really know the true song, not really know the true meaning. Yeah, it was more about the hook and all that. I I think like as far as like depth and complexity goes, like you you can't, this is like the the Mariana Trench of of depth here. This is the deepest part (laughs) of the ocean. (laughs) This is it. 
<laughs> doesn't get deeper. At least on this album, yeah, absolutely. He did a he did a good job with this one. He did. I I I think it's a really good song, and I I hate that I always skip it, but you know when you've heard it two hundred times, you know, it's probably what like your tenth banger, eleventh, twelfth, uh, roughly. I think it's like ninth or tenth. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> But it, it's not saying it's a bad song. Oh, okay, cool guy. All right. Uh, okay, what else do we want to talk about? What, I don't Fucking even know what banger guy. we're on. Maybe five? Five banger? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Geek USA is my four. Uh, uh, let's see here. Quiet was my five. Rocket is my six. Okay. What do, what do you want to get into? my last banger, too, Rocket. What do you want to do? What do, what do you, I mean, I don't know. What, what should we do? I don't know. This is... Uh, Let's see. Let me see if there's any more lyrics that I want to get in. I don't think I that's about it. I mean there's nothing that I really want to get in. Well I know anything like anything else I we can just talk about, but what is the it? song Mayonnaise was one of the few or it's I think the only song that was co written by James Eha, or at least where he's credited. Um and it's kinda cool, like he he's talked about the intro to that song where he's playing the the rhythm part on the acoustic guitar and he was playing it in a in a weird tuning and how Billy liked it so much, so Billy started noodling over it. And it's a really cool intro too. And I know this is this song Mayonnaise has been like a fan favorite. And but it was never a single, but it's always a song that fans always want to hear. And I think that's kind of cool, like a non-single that's so popular and that James was a part of. And I, it's a pretty solid song. Okay, so so here's something you don't want to hear and fans don't want to hear, but Mayonnaise that riff. It uh-huh. sounds like the riff from Rocket, and that riff from Isn't Rocket just sounds like a distorted riff from today. It's the same fucking thing. It's just <laughs> kind of, it's just a little bit different. So when you yeah. say like maybe you know maybe Billy didn't didn't adjust some things, maybe I don't know. <laughs> but we got three songs here with a riff that's fucking similar. But isn't that most alt rock bands, punk bands, metal bands? They're always riffs uh, that not sound Blink like one eighty two. Oh yeah, of course not, Blake. No, Tom would never, Tom would never rip off himself or anybody else. Of course not. <laughs> never ever happen. I mean, should we play anything else? What do you think? We've been going at it no, for a while. I, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a while. Who? What do you think? I, I got my I got my biggest points across. I pretty much almost deleted all my uh, all my notes, so I'm I'm good. Okay. I mean this the song. I mean this we album. Can, we can wrap this up. Okay. Yeah. What What do you got? What's your What's your wrap up? And then what's your rating? Where? We have a rating system of where three is a perfect album, a three point rating system where three is a perfect album. Two is a good album. You're going to continue to listen to one is a bad album, but you should give it a shot. And zero is hot garbage. So what are your final thoughts and your ranking on this album? Well, my final thoughts, usually you say go, but then you didn't say go. So I didn't didn't know when to talk. So, so I, uh, I was very surprised at this week about how much I, I enjoyed this pumpkins. Listen, Mm-hmm. Let's listen through. It was extremely long. Yeah. Like I'm not even gonna deny even that. It was me. very, very long. Even for me it was long. <laughs> like we're dude, thirteen albums, I mean at least on average, like an hour per album. We're talking this was like half a day at least of just pumpkins. And plus like my wife's parents came out for the weekend, so I was busy with that. And so I pretty much condensed it all into like five days. But it was fine. For the most part, it was not bad. And and like I said, my top three Pumpkins albums, I will probably buy at some oh point on, on vinyls. Oh, my God. Adore, I would, 
a door I would have already bought, but it's like $35. You're never going to find it cheaper. I'm telling you right now, you're not going to find that cheaper. The only cheap Pumpkins albums you're going to find are Shiny. It's Shiny and Gish. That's it. And cheap, by cheap, I mean like $20, $22. Outside of that. See, oh, man. Yeah. You're not going to find them cheap. That, 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 dude, 35 is so expensive, though. You got to do it. Whatever. I don't know. Whatever. So, you know, I mean, it was it, it has just been a good a good time. I'm I'm glad we did this. I'm glad that now I am a true head. Yes. A true yed. Yes. My opinions on the pumpkins are probably better than most people that have been liking the pumpkins yes. for decades because I'm sure they probably think like, oh, melancholy is the best they only thing like ever. The first three and Gish is number two. They only like the first three Yeah, they, they don't know shit. They're fucking dumb. <laughs> I, you say people shit on Zeitgeist a lot. That's it's insane, right? It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense to me. I mean, it's number... It's number eight on mine, but that's only because everything else is so much better. But Zeitgeist was good. Like, that was a good fucking album. And that was the one I was worried about the most because of, like, the falling out with the label, like you said, and then just people shitting on it. That was the one I thought was going to be the most brutal. But it was fucking cool. really good. (laughs) So so these people just shut the fuck up. You guys don't know shit. Y'all idiots. <laughs> so, given all that, <laughs> given that I'm now a true pumpkin head, uh, this this album's probably like a this is it's, this is two point seven. Oh my I'll give god, two point seven. Come on, man, you got to give it higher than that. I'll do two point seven. How about a two point? No, because it. No, no way. Because a door, I would probably throw a door at like a two point nine, maybe a two point nine five, and then Gish, I'd probably do like two point seven five, two point eight. No, that's. Dude, you're so fucking wrong. It's only it's only because of a couple songs. All right. I mean, it, had, had he had he thrown disarm and it was just him and the acoustic guitar, this would have easily been a three, hands dude, down. Get the fuck no out. questions one asked. Song. Get out of here. No so questions dumb. asked. No questions asked. Oh my god. None whatsoever. Jesus. This would have been a perfect three. You were out of your fucking mind. Oh my god. Just saying. Two two point seven, not budging. Okay, two point eight. Give it a two point eight. <laughs> give give this and Gish a two point eight. Come on, you can do it. No, because Gish is Gish is better than this. G- give Gish a two point eight five and give this a two point eight. No, it. because then Gish is that's too close to a door, and a door is is not perfect, but it's damn close. Oh my god, you're out of your fucking mind. Well, at least I'm 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 happy that that I've converted you. This is just another one of those bands that. I I helped you. I helped convert you, and then and that makes me happy. So, my final thoughts on this one, uh, I I didn't think this was going to be my favorite. I've always stuck to Gish being my favorite, and after this listen through and multiple listens through of this record, Gish really dropped for me, and this one really stepped it up. And dude, I think this record is amazing. I there's nothing bad on this record. A lot of what he speaks about lyrically is it's very much the same thing it's either about childhood abuse or broken relationships and that's pretty much it like there's not much more there outside of that um but it's still really good and like what we talked about on quiet i feel like that one is truly heartbreaking on today was heartbreaking as well just there's so many there's so many ups and downs on this record and i i love it it's not as experimental and wild as, say, Melancholy or Machina or fucking so many other records, but 
it's truly a banger and I love this record and I think this band is amazing and I think they're underrated and Billy Corgan's underrated and he's not that big of a dick like you think he is and I don't do this often but God but I'm gonna have to give this album perfect three I don't give out I don't throw out the perfect threes very often but this album is a perfect album Siamese Dream is perfect so I'm gonna start keeping track of like how many perfect threes you give out actually to make it easier <laughs> I'll keep track of how many perfect threes you don't give out well, that list is going to be a, a long list then. <laughs> no, it'll be like four albums long. No, come on, come on. Man. I, I don't throw it out that often. So, yeah, Siamese we'll Dream next week. is a perfect album, and there's nothing you could do to change my mind, I guess. I don't know, because it's that great. So, um, do we got anything else to say about the Pumpkins or, or Siamese Dream? What do you think? What do you got? No, that's uh, I mean that's 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 all I got. It's the gist of it. Okay, well, go to iTunes, go rate, review, and subscribe to us on there. Follow us on social media at Asinine Radio. And thank you again for listening. Thanks for listening to the rankings. And um, there's nothing else to say. Stay tuned for the next episode because we're getting into the Sublime album Forty Ounces to Freedom. And that's it. That's all. Good go. Yeah, did you